and welcome to EG's Voice of the Region with me, Jim Larkin, where this week we're taking an in-depth look at the hotel sector. Um, hotels have been through the ringer these past few years with COVID, Brexit and spiralling utility costs all conspiring to make things tough for operators. But where does that leave the transactional market, especially given the current high costs of borrowing? Well, one man whose knowledge on the subject is certainly five star, a little hotel reference for you there, is Ed Belfield. Uh, Ed is Christian Co's Regional Director of Hospitality South, meaning he oversees the sale of all hotels south of Birmingham for the company that comfortably leads the way in UK hotel and leisure investments on the radius on demand rankings. Uh, I want to find out what the market is like, both for operators as well as investors, how the sector has been changed by the experiences of the past few years, and what successful hotels of the future will look like. Ed, hello, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Jim. Well, good stuff. Good stuff. I am okay. Um, now, can we start off with, <clears throat> I suppose, a, a brief history of how the hotel sector's fared since uh, the start of 2020? As you know, you've been in the industry a while, and it seems like it must have been a, a uniquely difficult period in that, you know, not just because of the pandemic, but because of all the social distancing measures and the lack of staff due to Brexit. Um, things must have been incredibly tough, right? Yeah, I think that's that's probably a, a fair uh, summary. I think um, we've seen some real peaks and troughs uh, since sort of early 2020 in the hotel sector. Um, I think first of all, it, it was the significant uncertainty that came into that came into the sector early, sort of mid uh, 2020, um, mm. and then we saw a gradual improvement towards sort of quarter three, quarter four, sort of moving into the 2021, and I think. Um, that then created significant spikes across the hotel sector in terms of performance moving into 21 and then obviously into the next year as well. So, you know, we saw we saw the market rebound quickly. Um, mm -hmm. Interesting enough, it, it's quite interesting to see whether whether certain hotspots of activity were in terms of the transactional market, um, particularly driven mainly on the south coast to sort of coastal resorts. Uh, country house hotels where people are escaping the urban environment and sort of wanting to escape into perceived areas where they couldn't go abroad you know where's the next best opportunity in the sort of hotel sector in the UK so certainly hot spots across the south coast um, national parks Cornwall Devon you know we saw that uh, dramatically increase both demand for hotels on the transactional side but also in performance of those hotel businesses too. Sure. Okay. I mean, did many hotels come onto the market because of frustrated operators who just thought, you know, forget this for a game, soldiers, or words to that effect? Well, no, actually, I think you know okay. we've seen probably since you know 2015 onwards, there's been a real shortage of supply of hotel businesses that have come onto the market, um, and I think often you you see it cyclical. So post the last recession that we moved out of, sort of 2013-14. Uh, a lot of hotel businesses traded, started to pick up and trade well. So you had that cycle of a upward demand curve in terms of trading performance, profitability. Um, and then you often see a five-year cycle where, where owners think about, okay, we've been trading well, we'll be, we need to either move on, sell or, or acquire and build a portfolio. Um, and you sort of get to that cycle by the end of that decade, sort of 2019. Um, 
and it sort of naturally morphed into March 2020. Obviously, the on, oncoming pandemic that we sort of picked up on in January that year onwards. So those owners or investors that were looking at either selling at that point, given the five year trading cycle, um, suddenly hit the buffers. So you then you then had a real retention of hotel assets coming to the market. You had a lot of stock that sort of would have been on the market pre pandemic, um, which was then looking out of kilter in terms of pricing. So you then saw a market that pretty much ground to a halt mid sort of 2020. Um, and then, as I've already mentioned, when the trading environment picked up dramatically, sort of uh, mid half of sort of 2020, moving into 21, a lot of owners quite rightly and understandably held on to the assets. They were trading well. You saw various government initiatives, dine out to eat out, et cetera, um, that helped trading performance of businesses. So owners were clearly holding on to those assets recouping and recovering the profits that were coming through, you know, during that 18 month to two year period up until last year, really. Sure. OK. Um, yeah, that sort of leads me on nicely to my next question. I mean, does the transactional market kind of roughly follow the fortunes of the sector itself in terms of how well operators are doing? Or were there investors who thought, you know, during 2020 and 2021, when debt was a lot cheaper than it is now, um, that, you know, that was the time to be picking up bargains? Well, I think there weren't because the businesses were sort of trading well, the performance, the EBITDA, the top line was strong through that period. Um, you had a lot of lot of investors probably holding back from the market. However, having said that, if we did see real pinch points and clusters of activity, particularly in the southwest, Cornwall, Devon, you know, as I mentioned, the coastal resorts plus um, the sort of typical leisure hotspots of national parks, etc. That's where a lot of demand was coming from in terms of investors wanting to buy those assets. I think the great uncertainty as to how long this this pandemic would last. Um, mm. Clearly, the longer people couldn't travel, the higher the demand from buyers and investors to acquire hotel assets in those locations continued. So you saw a dearth of demand coming in for the traditional sort of urban environments, corporate branded hotels, city centre hotels, you know, it very much panned out to um, to the regions and to the rural uh, sort of markets that we're well used to hearing. Sure, excellent. OK, um, now um, one of the things I'm kind of interested in is kind of finding out how different life is for you as a hotel and hosp hospitality specialist compared to, you know, agents who let offices or retail units or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So can you just kind of talk through the range of work you do? I mean, are the hotels you sell done so mainly as investments or occupational sales? Um, and in terms of clients, is it everything from, you know, married couples selling the guest house in State Brown um, all the way up to massive investment funds? Well, I, I mean, I've uh, to come back to your first point. I've been selling hotels um, for twenty years. Uh, a while, plus, then, and I yeah. think, yeah, for a while, yeah. For, and and I think the key point, you know, people often ask you, what's what's so exciting about your sector? I think every business, every business owner, every investor we see is different, mm. um, and every hotel business we see is different. They all have their own peculiarities, their trading performance, their location, uh, their condition. And and I think that's that is that is the appeal to the hospitality sector as a whole, but particularly more so in hotels. Um, so coming back to your first point, I think the excitement is is every business you see every day is different in terms of the type of asset you're looking at, um, how you approach um, 
a market profile, how you approach pricing, et cetera. Um, and I think that's, that's, um, that's the key difference in terms of asset and class sectors. So that's how we differentiate from more traditional commercial property sectors, be it, be it retail, um, high street retail or, you know, office or industrial. Um, so that's the first point. In terms of buyer profile, that's, I mean, that's really key. When we're talking to business owners, really, they want two key bits of information from us. A, can you sell the hotel? And B, can you sell it for a maximum price? And C, um, who's who's the buyer profile? Do you have buyers? And those are all, those are our KPIs. I mean, uh, Christy Cohen, specialist in the hotel sector, we have a raft of buyers. Um, so we know when we go and see a business, you know, whether it's a three star, whether it's a budget, whether it's upscale, we know of the buyer profile. And we often come away from those businesses knowing exactly which buyer will buy that hotel. So that's across the whole strata. And we have we have elements of our business that do focus on on the smaller, lower value end, be it B&Bs, mm-hmm. guest house as well, all the way through the mid market to the upper tier upscale luxury portfolio uh, hotels branded. So I think, you know, we can see the buyer profile. We're talking to those business owners day in, day out on a weekly basis. So we know what's going on in terms of market sentiment, what they're experiencing in terms of pressures, be it cost pressures, be it employment uh, pressures, uh, occupancy rate, etc. Um, and so that's that's um, market intelligence that comes back into our business, um, which we can then sort of elaborate on uh, we use that in various elements of our um, business streams within the company whether it's valuation or whether it's consultancy and also transactional um, so it's it's a whole raft of buyers and I think you know you have to be a broad canvas or a broad church in the sense of who you're talking to um, in terms of businesses and also you know the ability to to give them confidence that we as a transactional agency business know know our our sectors in, inside and out and um you know have the ability to to ultimately sell their business you know once they instruct us sure okay um one of the other things i guess the um the capital outlay you're talking about with hotels is is way more than in the world of office agency for example um which i guess puts you more at the mercy of factors completely beyond your control such as interest rates or the relative strength of the pound if the investors are from overseas um is that a frustration or is that just something you have to accept and deal with well i think i think in every cyclical market be it a bull or a bear market you're going to see a macro impact on on every sector, be it the hotel mm. sector. Um, and I think over the last 12 months, um, we've certainly seen that here in the UK hotel sector uh, alongside other other investments. And I think I think that's the key point. It's, it's how the market reacts to that. And from a transactional perspective, it's being reactive to pricing. Um, mm. I mean, clearly the debt markets um, are more expensive or the availability of debt is is harder to get and it's more expensive uh, in comparison to uh, 12 months ago. So I think it's, you know, our job is we often see that very quickly filtering through. And if we wind our minds back sort of 12 months ago when we had the uh, mini budget crisis, you know, the, the lag impact of that was quite significant. So we saw a lot of transactions, a lot of deals, be they investment or occupational based, press hold. A lot of investors press hold really for two to three months and we and we saw that lag coming through 
into quarter one this year. Um, and we gradually saw transactional activity picking up quite swiftly from the end of quarter one into quarter two. So the headwinds we experienced um, this time last year were more of a, an initial impact of the mini budget crisis. Mm. End of quarter one this year, quarter two, we then saw the challenge of inflation and interest rates. So we, we've kind of hit two headwinds. However, I think what has um, but the trend in, in the sense of the trading performance of the hotels, the top line, the income line of, of, of a lot of hotels has remained fairly constant. And we've pulled back pretty much to 2019 trading levels, certainly in terms of net income. I think the issues that we've, that a lot of hoteliers are experiencing is the pressure on EBITDA, on profitability. Um, mm. And we're all acutely aware of utility costs increased dramatically last year. They have subsided, um, but not just utility costs. We've seen significant increases in staff costs and other commodities within hotel businesses. So that is that has certainly compromised the level of profitability that a lot of hoteliers um, have been able to achieve uh, you know, from their hotels in comparison to 2019. So it's not all all uh, all a depressing story, you know, by any sense of the, the stretch of the imagination. I think it's the top line has has maintained. It's it's a lot of hoteliers are looking at how they adapt their business to cope with the increased costs in the business. Now, utilities, you know, we we can talk about light and heating. They're finding ways to to um, to find solutions to the in, increase in in utility costs. And I think I think hotels, like any market, has to adapt. Um, but I think coming back to the pricing point, I think where we have seen um, the gap in owners' expectation versus the market, that is often the lag we talk about because um, mm. we're seeing it quite quickly in the market. And I think what's happened with interest rates um, earlier this year has, Im has impacted on that gap quite significantly. Um, but I think a positive indicator is the fact that trading performance top line is is maintained and that that's probably pushing back on that gap um, but clearly you know our job is to is to inform the market um, of of where we see pricing and trying to realign owners expectations versus the market sure okay um how locked in do you feel uh, the hotel sector's recovery is um and in what ways do you think hotels have changed since pre-pandemic days well, I think you know, the biggest disruptor in any economy is uncertainty. Mm. And I think if we can eliminate a, a bulk or a high risk element of uncertainty, um, it then creates stability clearly in a market. Um, so I think, you know, as we're looking, the problem is we haven't got a crystal ball. We've got an election next year at some point, be it mm. early, middle, uh, latter. So if we look back at the last decade, for instance, we've seen a succession of disruptors coming in in uh, various parts uh, through the last 10 years, be it, be it Brexit, be the independence referendum and elections, and then we had COVID. So it, it's caused uncertainty at various uh, periods, particularly over the last 10 years. I think when we look forward, we're probably looking at a, at a period of stabilisation inflation appears to be flatlining and 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 reducing um which interest rates as a consequence of that um are hopefully stabilizing and you know some thought that they would reduce slightly albeit it's it's what known as 
sticky inflation. Um, so I think there are signs in the macroeconomy um, that we're seeing a bit more stability forecast for next year. And I think those are positives. Whatever happens with the election, whether it causes further instability or not, that's something that we can't factor in at this stage. So I think there are certainly positive signs. Um, you know, hearing various economic forecasts that that are coming out recently saying we're not in recession, but there is limited growth. Um, but I think we've just got to look at those key indicators that have influences on the hotel sector. And the key one clearly is the availability and the cost of debt and how that's then influenced by interest rates and inflation and government macroeconomic policy. Sure. Okay. Um, in terms of how hotels have recovered, I mean, has there, you've alluded to this earlier, but has there been a split between hotels in cities, um, which are probably more reliant on the return of work-related things like conferences and events, um, <coughs> and the kind of like, sort of places where people would visit as tourists? Well, I think you're right. I think, you know, in the um, 2020 and the next consecutive two years, a real spike, a flight to the rural, coastal, leisure resorts took place pretty quickly, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but what we have seen is that is certainly pared back. And I think the difficulties of comparing like for like is when you see the spike in occupancy, the spike in room rate that we saw in summer sort of latter part mm. of 2020 and 21 and to a lesser degree last year. And we all got or a lot of hotel operators I wouldn't say got used to those high levels of 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 income, of rate, of occupancy. And it's now really adjusting back to comparisons to pre-pandemic levels. So we're very much talking about 2018, 2019. So in terms of the leisure, the the resort hotels, that's now pairing back. I think I briefly discussed the issues that happen with the city centre, the branded hotels, but deeply impacted by COVID. And I think what you're seeing is a levelling off. So you're seeing the urban hotel performance certainly has caught up. Um, I think the corporate market coming back into the hospitality industry is certainly encouraging. And I think a lot of businesses use hotels differently. Now, they use them slightly different in comparison to pre, pre-pandemic. Um, now, where they may have used them more often with smaller conferences, smaller bookings, maybe a lot of businesses are using them not less frequently, but bigger events. Um, so it, that type of market certainly come back. Um, London has always been very robust. That's bounced back both on the corporate market, but also um, also on the leisure with a lot of North American trade coming into London. Um, I think we're just seeing the region slightly softening slightly in terms of occupancy and rate. But I think that's maybe just a natural balance of the of the two markets um, and sort of the the appetite um, for for the UK um, hotel sort of destination on a on a recreation basis is now, you know, it's available. You can go to Europe, you can fly to Spain, France uh, or other parts of Europe or sort of North America quite easily at relative low cost. So you're seeing a sort of natural balance between the spikes we saw of COVID um, and, and a sort of post-COVID reality as, as we move forward.
Okay. Um, now, um, staycation, it's quite a controversial term um, because, you know, there are people out there who would argue that it only counts if you stay in your own house. Um, but kind of on the general theme of people from the UK holidaying within the UK, um, did the numbers in 2021 and 2022 make up for the loss of overseas visitors? Um, and do you think that's kind of resulted in a lasting appetite for people to holiday in the UK more than they used to um, and you know just the general sense that they don't always need to jet off overseas somewhere. Well I think there's there's various points that you pick up I think I think there is there's a certain element of lasting Covid staycation I think certain mm. demographic parts of the profile um, people simply don't want to hop on an aircraft anymore um, and 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 those I think have continued to staycation in in the UK and that will continue. Um, but I think I think given the vast majority of the population that that still have that appetite and still have the ability to afford to hop on a plane and, mm. and fly elsewhere, um, I think that'll continue. So again, I think we're going to see the market, as I mentioned earlier, probably replicating the pre-pandemic in terms of the split between staycation UK. I think, as you've mentioned, that that word is now becoming a little worn in the sense of its <laughs> usefulness, but um, but I think there's there's been a dramatic rise in people going into overseas holidays because the availability, and I think probably a lot of people really appreciated the fact that um, during COVID, actually they couldn't they couldn't hop on a plane, they had mm. to stay in the UK, and I think they've sort of looked at the overseas holidays and thought, well, you know, if there's an opportunity, then we should do it. Mm. Sure. Okay. Um, how important is ESG in the hotel sector? And by that, I suppose I'm mainly talking about the E part of it. Um, is environmental performance becoming increasingly important both to guests as well as investors? Um, and kind of what are the practical steps that hotels are taking to to make themselves greener? Well, I think so. I think particularly where you're where we're looking at the hotel uh, development market, new build market. I think that's that's particularly important moving forward. Um, and in, investors and developers are very much looking at the sector a lot closely now because it does have an impact. It has an impact on their customer base. Um, it has an impact on their cost base. Um, mm. And I think politically and economically, um, it's it's a part of the market that will become more and more focused on, particularly new build technology. I think trying to adapt um, existing established hotels and it, in a lot of a lot of these resorts particularly in the UK a lot of the current hotel stock is is probably 100 to 150 years old particularly the mm. traditional victorian seaside resorts now trying to look at adapting those properties to to a more um environmentally friendly use or 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 adapting its structure is a quite costly and b it will mean taking those businesses offline for a period and therefore an impact on trading. So mm. I think I think where you're seeing new build hotel developments, the answer is very much so, yes. Um, and I think we're, we're dealing with a number of um, number of, of developers where this is very much right at the top line. You know, it's almost the first the first aspect of any hotel development new build that they look at is 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 the ESG side of the business. So I think moving forward, it will certainly it it will certainly become more so. And I think you know, particularly in London, where there's there tends to be more new build activity, or also in the urban larger urban cities of Manchester, Birmingham, I think you'll see that coming through a lot stronger. 
Sure. Okay. Um, what do you think uh, the successful hotels of the future will look like? I mean, we hear a lot <laughs> when I kind of talk to office specialists, they say office buildings are becoming more like hotels. But do you think hotels are going to become slightly more like offices in that they'll be providing workspace for a more mobile workforce who perhaps need an occasional physical venue? Well, I think so. We've certainly seen a rise in the last 10 years of that type of use coming forward. Um, there were various mm. operators um, and, you know, particularly London is a case in point, a number of operators that that provide that flexible workspace. Um, and I think if you're looking and that will apply to those located in urban environments where you've got that capture of that market, where people want that flexible working space. Mm. And it's a good I mean, it's a good fillet to increase other income streams in that hotel business, whether it's food and beverage or or whether it's additional accommodation income. So I think I think the hotel, the hotel of the future, um, there's lots of trends and challenges coming out from the Far East in the sense of what does the next hotel look like? What does that consumer want? when he stays in the hotel. So what does that business consumer want? What does that leisure consumer want? And I think they're two different markets that, that you've got to marry up. So the leisure market, I think, will be easier to understand. But it's, I think the key point is um, how the business consumer, how the corporate market evolves and develops and how often they will want to use hotel space. You know, is it is it just for accommodation or is it more so for flexible day-by-day working, which will, sure. you know, develop out that way? OK, uh, now, in terms of barriers to deals, um, is the current economic climate in its own way making things as difficult for getting deals done as the pandemic did? Um, you know, with with money more expensive, are investors scaling back requirements and say looking at individual hotels rather than portfolios, for example? Well, I think it's a good it's a big mixture, really. I think I think you've got different types of investors looking for different types of products. Um, mm. Clearly, we touched on the debt markets earlier. That is challenging for a lot of buyers. Um, so what you've seen is the buyer pool has shrunk because those that were traditionally looking to be predominantly debt funded have had to stand back from the market. However, again, the flip side to that is there appears to be a lot of cash in the market. Mm. Um, now, that's cautious. It's cautious cash in the sense of what they're willing to um, pay. But those are the parties that can transact. So we've... Um, we're in the midst of marketing a fairly sizable portfolio across the UK. They're predominantly leisure related hotels. Um, and we have seen probably 80 to 90 percent of the offers that have come in for these hotels are uh, cash funded. Wow. And I think that that is indicative of the market as it stands. So I suppose it, in terms of when you're talking about barriers to entry, yes, debt is an issue. However, um, I think unlike previous recessions, there is there is a um, quite a lot of cash, not just UK based cash, but we're seeing a lot of interest um, and a lot of inquiries coming from investors from the Far East, the Middle East and North America and and also parts of mainland uh, Europe. So it's the geopolitical picture in terms of cash coming into the UK is spread across. Um, but I think until we see probably the debt markets providing a bit more stability, um, and, and and the cost of debt certainly stabilising, if not starting to reduce, then those barriers to entry from those investors traditionally looking at, at debt will still remain. Um, so I think, you know, when you're looking at portfolios or subgroups, there's quite a lot of interest across across the board, but it's predominantly, it's not generally backed by your traditional 
high street lenders. Mm, sure. Okay. Um, okay. Um, I guess one of the other <coughs> consequences of the wider economic situation is that build costs for, for all use types are, are still very high. Um, but how healthy is the development pipeline looking for new hotels? The um, well, I think what we've seen across the board, we we saw the spikes um, particularly noticeable in um, manufacturing materials and labour costs particularly come through in sort of 21 to 22. Um, I think the the build cost or inflationary increases have have started to tail off. Um, so you've seen development costs are up on certainly pre-pandemic, um, but I think there is a view that, that, that they are starting to normalise in terms of uh, pricing. I think, yeah, we've, um, our consultancy teams have recently undertaken um, some analysis of the pre-pandemic pipelines of new hotels um, mm. and I think sort of looking at how that's developed um, we've seen the development pipeline sort of remains fairly active about 35,800 rooms planned to enter the top 10 cities and I think this is this is certainly expected to positively contribute to the renewal of aging stock with six out of ten markets under review noting 50 percent or more of their inventory as being 10 years or older so I think there is there is quite a lot of lag in terms of development pipeline, um, but I think particularly in the the core sort of urban markets in in the UK, um, and I think there's 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 greater conference. Whilst there's challenges on debt funding for new development, um, I think in terms of where the the cost of development uh, is certainly looking more favourable than it was perhaps two or three years ago. So, yeah, I mean, that in itself is a sign that <clears throat> there's quite a lot of confidence in the future of the sector. Well, I think so. I think so. And I think it's it's the key point is is flexibility. And I think the markets need to react you know, mm. quickly in terms of any headwinds that come through. And I think, yeah, you know, if we all had a crystal ball um, 18, well, 14, 15 months ago, we couldn't have seen what headwinds would have approached us quite so quickly this time last mm. year. Um, so I think that's 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 where the key element is 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 sort of flexibility. Can can the sector flex to combat these headwinds? Sure. Okay. Um, now it's autumn statement this week. Um, are there any actions you'd like to see the government take that would really improve the fortunes of the hotel sector? Well, I think um, UK hospitality has been very vocal on various aspects of mm. of of the hospitality sector, whether it's VAT on accommodation etc um and i think those are key key points moving forward i think i think we've got to encourage um encourage the sector it has its challenges and i think the key point is is challenging the immediate concerns of increased costs in all their businesses you know whether it's uh, utility costs as we're coming into a winter period um and traditionally uh you know november and then you've got january and february are the shoulder months for most hoteliers um, mm. where they incur lower lower income but in, increased costs so i think it it's it's looking at those particular concerns and you then dovetail that into debt or cost of debt um and 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 those are the key areas really which which i think need to be focused on um and uk hospitality are, are you know lobbying very hard on on various points with the uk government 
Sure. Excellent. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now, I don't know if you've seen the uh, new and improved radius on demand rankings, um, but they kind of now allow people to kind of break things down so you can drill into specific sectors and see how things are looking for the year to date. Um, and in the hotel and leisure sector, Christie & Co is doing very well um, in terms of investments. I think you're top in the southeast and the southwest and leading on occupational sales in the southwest and top in terms of numbers in the southeast. So it's going well. Um, what do you feel you're getting right? Well, I think it's about um, it's about people. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's the first point. Yeah, it's having the right people in the business, um, giving them the training, the support, and the the experience they need. And I think that's that's key as a company. I think people are first. So I think you know we're working hard on that. Um, it's we're always trying to you know find good people, creative people. Um, to work in our business and sort of move forward. So I think first and foremost that, I think the second point is people need to feel involved. They need to feel they've got the right training and, and support. So if they have those building blocks in their day-to-day -day business, then it just reflects in our outward business to our consumers, our customers. And it's all about um, providing the right advice, competent advice, which is all based on market transactional evidence. So. If you reel it all back, I think it's it's profile, profile in the industry, credibility um, and giving the right advice to our clients. And in a changing market, that's all they're looking for. They don't see the transactional market the same way we do. We experience, we see each deal as it happens. So we're seeing rates per key. We're seeing rate um, multiples, et cetera. So we're seeing that rapidly changing from asset to asset. And I think as I come back to my point earlier on when I was mentioning about, you know, what does an owner of a business want to do when they talk to us about selling? They want to know that we can sell their business for as much as possible. And, you know, what underpins that is market transactional evidence. Um, and, you know, we've we've so far transacted this year in excess of sort of 65, 70 hotels. Um, and that is all in market intelligence that we can then um, discuss with our clients and, and give them um, realistic market pricing. Sure. OK. Um, and just finally, then, um, you cover an absolutely massive patch from Cornwall all the way up to East Anglia, North Norfolk. Um, do you have any particular favourite parts within that? I mean, you know, if a, a hotel comes up uh, in a particular part, do you think, right, I'll, I'll go and talk to them here? Well, I think, you know, we've I think we've all got our own personal favourites, but in reality, it comes back to the point, you know, I've been doing this this job for sort of 20 years plus, and I think every business you see is different. Every business owner is different. And that's what I enjoy about the, our day-to-day -day business. Um, and I think you've got pockets, whether it's whether it's Penzance or whether it's um, Wells next to sea in North, North Norfolk, or whether it's Margate, you've got lots of different markets and they all service their own microclimate and um and i think that's that's the enjoyment of it i think there's there's no one particular spot because every every hotel every location have its has its different sort of kpis um and i think it's uh you know it's it's a it's a flexible market and and one that appeals to an awful lot of people excellent okay we shall leave it there thank you ed ever so much for your time that was really interesting thanks very much